Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter, reading verses 18, 19, and 20. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word as it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is true, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would sweeten your word in our hearts and in our minds this day, that we might grow in our knowledge of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who together with you and the Holy Spirit reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we sang this morning, Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, Probably up until I was in first or maybe kindergarten or first grade, I attended with my family the uh, American Baptist Church in New Brighton outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, that was the church of my grandfather, my grandmother, and their uh, 11 children. I have one living uncle from that side of the family, and he is still a member of that congregation. He has never changed churches once in his entire life. That's the uh, kind of futato Hungarian way of doing things. Um, Since we've been in Florida, of course, I've had one job. Uh, My wife has had like 14 Um, she changes, uh, I kind of do things the futado way. If it's not broken, we don't fix it. But at any rate, I have a lot of good memories of growing up in that church. One is, um, making paper airplanes out of the leftover bulletins after church. Uh, my father was uh, an usher. We'd get the extra bulletins, make airplanes, fly them. Uh, I remember how huge that church was massive. Uh, Until as an adult, I went back to one of my cousin's weddings and saw how small that church was. It's amazing your difference in perspective when you're like this big and when you grow up. But the other thing that I remember is that every Sunday we opened worship by singing the first line of holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed trinity. Uh, wonderful early days in that American Baptist church. Well, math is not my strong suit. Uh, anything mathish, I turn over to my daughter, who is uh, a graduate of UCF with an accounting degree. I do know that one plus one is two, and I know that one plus one plus one is three, unless we're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, which we're going to be doing for the next couple of Sundays when I am here, Lord willing. We are monotheists, uh, but we're not alone in this world as monotheists. We have some cousins, 
Muslims are monotheists. Jews are monotheists. Uh, Together, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism makes up well over 50% of all people on the face of the earth. So we're not unique in being monotheists, believing in one God. We are, however, unique in that we are Trinitarian. Trinitarian. What is Trinitarian monotheism? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism in question 5 and 6 answers that for us. Question 5, are there more gods than one? Answer, there is but one only, the living and true God. Question 6, how many persons are there in the Godhead? Answer, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. You know, we tend as human beings to latch on to part. It's much easier than embracing the whole. And I dare say if we could invent some kind of spiritual thermometer to kind of gauge people's relationship with God, I dare say that among evangelicals, the vast majority of evangelicals are related to Jesus. With maybe some sense of a father, uh, some sense of uh, a spirit, unless, of course, you're in the charismatic side of Christianity, and then the Holy Spirit's going to play a much larger role in your kind of day-to-day Just stop and think about it in your own walk with God. If somebody were to say to you, how's your walk with God? What kind of answer would you give them? Is it an answer that is a father answer? Is it an answer that is a a son answer? Is it an answer that is a spirit answer? Or is it a Trinitarian answer? Are we practically speaking Trinitarian monotheists? Here's a summary of Trinitarian monotheism. Three persons, one God. That's it. Doesn't get any simpler. Doesn't get any more complicated. It's as simple as as it can be. Uh, One God in three persons. But how one plus one plus one adds up to one? I don't know. God is ineffable. That is, we cannot express in words who God is. God is incomprehensible. We cannot understand fully who God is. There are certain things that we can say that are true about the doctrine of the Trinity, but we can only go so far because, as R.C. Sproul has often told us, if we knew everything there was to know about God, either he wouldn't be or we would be. He's infinite, we're finite, and so there is a limit to our knowledge. And yet, the more we can know about who God is, the richer our relationship. Uh, You've probably seen at one time or another this old show, it's had a couple of revivals, The Dating Game, Um, or The Newlyweds. You know, you've been married within a year, and there are certain things you ought to know about each other. How much do you know about each other? And of course, the longer you've been married, the more you should know about each other. And so we have been walking with God for a long time, and so there are things that we should know about our God, and one of them is that we're Trinitarian monotheists. And so we're going to spend a couple of Sundays, Lord willing, 
talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. This morning, we're just starting with some basics. I'm calling this sermon, The Trinity in Liturgy. The Trinity in Liturgy, the Trinity in elements of our worship. Somebody should, who doesn't know anything about Christianity, come into a Christian worship service and leave with the sense that these folks believe that there's one God in three persons. They're worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet only one God. And throughout the history of Christian worship, our worship has been Trinitarian. And so let's look just at a couple of things. Uh, The first one in doxology. We sang, for example, this morning what is called the common doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Doxology comes from two words, doxa, which means glory, and logos, which means word. Doxology is a glorious word. And in doxology, the direction of speech is going from us to God. Doxology is praise to God. The common doxology is distinctively Protestant. If you go to a Roman Catholic church uh, on some Sunday morning and they're singing the doxology, it's because they've borrowed it from Protestant tradition. It was written in the uh, latter part of the 1600s, and originally what we sing as the doxology was the final verse in two hymns, one that was written for morning worship and one that was written for evening worship. And as things go, that final verse kind of took on a life of its own, And it became what we think of as the doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise God, there's only one. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, there are three. In doxology... We are worshiping our triune God. The Gloria Patri. Now this is a universally Christian, uh, this is a universally Christian doxology. It goes back before 500 AD. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and forever shall be, world without end. Amen. And amen. That latter part probably is coming from Jude 25, the very end of the book of Jude. And I know at some point this past week you were all reading the book of Jude. Uh, But it talks about the praise of God uh, from the beginning, now, and forever. That line is saying that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are to be glorified. Uh, throughout all creation, all time, from the beginning, now, and forevermore, even going on into endless ages, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. We use the uh, Apostles' Creed this morning. In the Nicene Creed, we say, I believe in the Holy Ghost, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. When we reflect on the Trinity in doxology, here's one of the main takeaways. 
Our worship is to be Trinitarian. Our praise of God is to be Trinitarian. And when we use these ancient forms like the doxology and the gloria, we are reminding ourselves and those who are with us that we are Trinitarian Christians. I believe in the Holy Ghost who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. As Christians gather for worship today, I have no doubt that as some Christians gather, it's me and Jesus. And that's a good thing because without Jesus, we don't have access to the Father. That's essential, but it's more than that. Uh, We are Trinitarian Christians, and in our worship, we need to be self-consciously bringing glory to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, our Trinitarian God. So from considering just the doxology, we realize that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equally to be worshipped. Do you worship the Father? Do you worship the Son? Do you worship the Holy Spirit? Trinitarian monotheism. Well, let's think about something else. Let's think about benediction. Now, sometimes doxology and benediction get confused, but they're really different. In doxology, the direction of speech is from us to God. In benediction, the direction of speech is from God to us. Bene, good. Diction, dictionary word. Benediction is a good word coming down to the congregation from God. Traditionally, worship services conclude with a benediction, which is not just a way of saying, service is over, go have lunch. It's the final blessing, benediction, it's the final word of blessing that God pronounces over his people. It's interesting to just reflect on the benedictions in the New Testament. Uh, Paul typically ends his letters with benedictions, which is one of the reasons why the Christian church typically has ended its worship with benediction. There's kind of a growth Uh, In some benedictions, the simplest form, no person in the Trinity is mentioned at all. For example, Titus 3.15. Paul's benediction there is very simple. Grace be with you all. But then sometimes the benediction is a little more complex, as in Galatians 6.18, and one person is mentioned. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. But then sometimes the benediction is a little more complex and two persons are mentioned. As in Ephesians 6, 23. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then sometimes the benediction is the fullest. Three persons, as in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And the benediction that is probably the most frequently used in the Christian church. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
Normally in Paul's letters, when God is mentioned without any other qualification, it's God the Father that is mentioned. So that Paul is saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But you'll notice that in benediction, the fullest form of benediction is Trinitarian. And from the benedictions, we learn that God is to be equally depended on. When you think of your dependence on God, just in your day-to-day living, do you kind of think of yourself as more dependent on the Father, or on the Son, or on the Spirit, or are you self-consciously a Trinitarian monotheist, where you're realizing that you are dependent Uh, You are dependent equally on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Belgic Confession in Article 8 is dealing with this sort of issue. And just a snippet from it, it says, There is neither a first nor a last. For all three are one in truth and power in goodness and mercy. There's no idea that the Father is more powerful, the Spirit is more powerful, the Son is more powerful, that the Father is more merciful, uh, the, the Spirit is more merciful. From benediction we learn that the grace of God that comes to us is the grace of God that comes equally from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As the confession says, there is neither a first nor a last. There is no uh, essential superiority or inferiority in the Trinity when it comes to them being one in truth and power, in goodness, in mercy. We are equally dependent on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're equally to be worshipped, and they are equally to be depended on. Now we come back very briefly to the text that I read. I usually preach sermons that are like the explication of one text, but, and I'm kind of way out of my league when I'm speaking theology. You ought to really have Michael Allen doing this. In fact, when I talked to Michael Allen about preaching on the Trinity, I said, are you planning on preaching on the Trinity late? He's an expert. Uh, he and Scott Swain are systematic theology professors. They're not just... Uh, very sharp theologians, but both of them have a real uh, forte and emphasis in understanding the doctrine of the Trinity. But uh, Michael said he wasn't, and so I said, well, just don't listen to my sermons and I'll be okay. <laughs> but we come back to our text in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice that there's one name. It doesn't say baptize them in the names of, but in the name. There's only one name. Now, in the Old Testament, name can be a number of things, but name has to do with authority. Name has to do with power. Name has to do with ownership. I have preached on the Aaronic benediction. Uh, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Uh, Now, the way that, bened- that, um, that benediction ends, there's a little uh, tagline outside the benediction proper where God says, and in this way, remember, 
say to them, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face. God's name is pronounced over the congregation of Israel three times. And in the pronouncing of the name three times, God says, in this way, I will put my name on them. The benediction is putting the... Now, I'm tempted to say, isn't it interesting, that the name is used three times and we end up with three persons in the Trinity, but I'm not going to say that. I think that's a stretch. It might be just a sheer coincidence. Um, But uh, at any rate, in general, we may get hints of the triunity of God in the Old Testament. We get some mysterious hints that God is one and God is many, but it's really not until the incarnation that it becomes clear that God is more than one person. And in the fullness of revelation, in the resurrection and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in New Testament times, we are clear that God is one and how God is three in terms of being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But at any rate, notice that in that benediction, that ironic benediction, the name of God is put on people. How do people get the name Christian? You don't get the name Christian just by saying, I'm a Christian. That's a good thing if you say you're a Christian. Would to God that everybody in the world would confess that they're Christians. But in God's plan, the way someone takes the name Christian on is in baptism. It's when one is baptized that one gets the name. Kind of in our culture, how many times have have moms and dads of a newborn left the hospital with the baby, and somebody says, what's the name? And they say, we haven't decided yet. We haven't filled out that birth certificate. I was actually born Christopher on the birth certificate. And after my parents left the hospital, my dad said, I think that's a little too long, and I think I want them to have a Bible name. Let's change his name to Mark. And so they changed my name. What your name is, you can tell by your birth certificate. You get the name Christian officially and publicly when you are baptized into the one name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because we are monotheists. And so you take, just like in the Old Testament, they took one name, the name of the Lord. In the New Testament, there's still just one name, the name of God, that we take on in baptism. But that one name has three persons in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As the Catechism says, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God. Equally to be obeyed. Jesus goes on to say, teach them, after you baptize them into the one name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to do everything I have commanded you. And it's interesting that Jesus is saying that as part of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's speaking there as God, because in the Old Testament, it's God who says, everything I have commanded you. 
For example, in Exodus 29.35, everything I have commanded you. Exodus 31.6, everything I have commanded you. Jeremiah 50.21, everything I have commanded you. And when Jesus says, everything I have commanded you, good Jews heard these Old Testament texts ringing in their heads and they knew that Jesus was speaking as one of the three and he was speaking as God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus says, teach them to do everything I have commanded you, he's speaking as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is equally to be obeyed. Let's not kind of think as the Father, as the great disciplinarian, and we've got to obey Dad. And Jesus as kind of like the elder brother who kind of makes dad not quite so angry. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when you are rendering obedience, you are rendering obedience to your triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One authority over your life. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In doxology, we realize that our triune God is equally to be worshipped. In benediction, equally to be depended on. In baptism, equally to be obeyed. And one final short point. Let's just talk briefly about the Apostles' Creed that we used this morning and the Nicene Creed. The traditional creeds of Christendom. Just in short, these creeds are Trinitarian at their heart. In the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, I believe in the Holy Ghost. One of the good reasons for using these ancient creeds in our worship, and I'm not saying that you have to have one of these creeds in every worship service, but one of the reasons for using these creeds regularly in our worship is it gives us the opportunity to confess that we are Trinitarian monotheists. We are monotheists like Muslims and like Jews, and we are Trinitarian monotheists who don't simply believe in one God, but believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the ancient confession of the Christian church, going all the way back to the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed is a little bit later, but still very ancient. I believe in one God. See, we are monotheists. But then it goes on to say, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Lord willing, that's going to be our next sermon. Read John in your, in your Bibles um, and you will not, for the most part, be reading about Jesus as the only begotten. You're going to be reading about Jesus as the one and only. That is, unless you're reading the King. I think the king has it right. Uh, and I haven't checked yet, but probably the New American Standard. Uh, but the language of the only begotten has disappeared from all of our modern translations. And uh, I'm, I'm going to share with you why I think, along with others, um, that that's a mistake on the part of modern translators. And that we need to keep the language of the ancient creed that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Begotten, not made, is the confession of the church. Begotten of the Father before all worlds. 
What on earth is the eternal generation of the sun and does it matter? Okay, if I'm in deep water this Sunday, I'm in deeper water the next time I'm coming, but come, with a, come for the swim with me. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord. We usually think of Jesus as Lord. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. The Son as begotten of the Father, the Spirit as proceeding from the Father and the Son together. The ancient confession of Christians, uh, is it part of our thinking? Lord willing, we'll grow in our understanding of who our God is. But from the creeds, we learn that our triune God is equally to be confessed. We confess that we believe in one God, Father Almighty, Jesus, only begotten Son, Spirit, who proceeds together from Father and Son. So in our liturgy, we worship as Trinitarian monotheists. We worship our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are equally to be worshipped, equally to be depended on, equally to be obeyed, equally to be confessed. And in the Lord's Supper, we receive the grace of our triune God. But more on that in a few moments. Let's pray.